there was also that girl that had the spark in New York and she was based in LA. And, um, and I was like, oh, it's perfect. I'll just go see her and like crash at her place. And then, you know, I'll figure out this LA thing. Like I'll make it work. And I remember coming out here, she picked me up from the airport, went back to her place. Everything was okay, chilling. It's like day two, like that first day was fine. Day two, she was like, hey, I don't think this is gonna work out. And when she said that, I was like, oh, a word? Okay, like I had no backup plan. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. That was Adam Amaral recalling his move to LA only to find out that he was missing something, that something being a steady home. Adam created Master of Shapes, an independent VFX studio that dabbles in game design, app development, and virtual reality. Starting as a freelance designer, he worked his way up to studio projects for Transformers, Ender's Game, and Star Wars. He created VR technology for military application, and he even built a jungle in the middle of Los Angeles. However, he didn't always have a strong footing in graphic design. Throughout college, he struggled to develop a style that felt uniquely his. As a young adult, he spent months sleeping on a blow-up mattress in a bike closet and pulling all-nighters to make ends meet. Adam's adventure didn't begin with these multi-million dollar contracts. It actually began in childhood bliss, a cool breeze, the laughter of friends, and the sudden weightlessness that follows jumping off a skateboard. I uh, got sk started skateboarding like I was like 12 years old, 13 years old. I remember it all started, I think my, my I have like a half sister and she'd sent me like one of those like Walmart skateboards, like impossible to skate, <laughs> but like everyone starts there. And then um, I think for me, how like skateboarding kind of led to stuff is like, I was just skating with my friends and like, you know, you kind of learn pretty quickly. Like I'm okay at skateboarding, but like my friends are way better. And so like, I realized pretty quickly, like, hey, maybe I should like film my friends. So that kind of introduced me to even just like video art or anything as a whole. Was that? So this is like what in like 1998, 1999, <laughs> oh early man. 2000s. Yeah, what year? So I guess high school would be I started in 2000. So I guess yeah, it would be right before that. Man, I'm old, bro. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your your first camera and like like why you bought it or how you got it? I think I like you know hijacked one of the family cameras, and I mean I'm sure the quality is like crap, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I remember getting that mini DV camera and then just bringing it everywhere, just like filming everything. And then editing was hard back then, like to get it off that mini DV was like a pain. When you were in the edit mode, like what were you trying to express? Like, or was it just like, I'm just trying to show like some sick skate edit. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, I don't really know what I was getting into, but I remember being this kid that like was always trying to force a video project unnecessarily. Like, it'd be like, hey, let's read this book and write this essay. I'm like, sounds sick. How about we don't read the book and we make a video about it? <laughs> you know? And so I was always trying to like find a loophole that way. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of what got started. And I also saw like, I think I saw The Matrix and I was like, damn, that was pretty sick. And like the visual effects were cool. And so that just got me excited about like, how can I make that in editing? So I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. But I remember making a lot, and I wish I still had these, a lot of embarrassing, just like weird videos for school projects. 
I'll put a lightsaber in this non-Star Wars related project just because I was like that kid. I had also had a weird angsty like phase where I listened to a lot of death metal and like I would do English projects like beautifully shot video with like Cradle of Filth as the background song. Yeah, but I mean, uh, it's cool that you had like that medium of expression. I feel like I was almost just blinded by the passion and wasn't even at the step of knowing whether I was good or bad at that point. I think I was just like, I just want to make some shit. Like I didn't even know like what would happen. So like when I look back, I'm like, I don't even think I had anyone to compare to in my friend circle. I just didn't know what to expect, but I knew I liked doing it. Blindly tackling projects isn't always a bad thing. As a young artist, Adam had nothing to lose. He wasn't limited by a five-year career plan or the pressure of elevating his personal brand. It was just him, the camera, and the insatiable desire to create something awesome. From turning an essay into a video project to incorporating death metal into an English assignment, he uncovered creative opportunities in even the unlikeliest of situations. In fully submitting to his passion, he lost all reservations about what he couldn't do and instead only saw what he could. At the root of his creative freedom is the gumption to do what he loves, even at the cost of appearing a little eccentric. Adam's early venture into filmmaking proves that creativity and imagination flourish in the absence of self-consciousness. But on the other hand, art isn't conceived in a vacuum. Artists take inspiration from other artists all the time. And if Adam truly wanted to develop a style of his own, he'd first have to learn to pay attention to others. So like pretty much, you know, like you get to the whole part where you're like applying to all these schools and like apply to UCLA, apply to all these things, all as undecided major. Like last semester of high school, I had just found this school called SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. And they had like a major that was kind of like video art, visual effects. And I was like, I had no clue. I was like, holy shit, you can do that. And uh, so that's kind of like last second I curveballed and just applied to art school and just bailed. Didn't go to check out any of the other schools I had applied to. What was like your expectation and what was the reality of, of actually arriving there? Well, I had this weird thing. I'm always like this. Like, I don't like to like open Christmas gifts early. I don't like when people tell me like, hey, I'm going to ruin the surprise for you. I just want to tell you I have a surprise, but I'm going to tell you now. Like, I hate that. I like the surprise. I like to wait. So my expectation, like, I didn't even know because I didn't go check out the school or anything till my first day. Wow. You really rolled the dice. Did you ever think you weren't making the right decision? At that time, no, because I, I think I was just blinded by passion. Like, I didn't step out of it. I didn't even know the world was even happening around me, good and bad. Like, I was just so into it. When you were when you were there, like, who, what kind of people were you meeting? And like, were they, did they have that same passion that you did? Did you find people with that similar drive? Yeah, I think so. I think that was like what I realized, like, you know, people always ask, like, is it worth going to school? Is it not? Like, it's from the teaching perspective. I don't think that was that worth it, at least for art. Like, it was like kind of just like the teachers would be like, hey, here's this program. Here's like a basic level, maybe figure it out on your own. So the teaching wasn't there. But I think being surrounded by a bunch of people that cared, like meaning they're passionate and they care about what they do, that was definitely present. And like that made you stay focused, I think more than anything. Cause you're like, oh, no one's forcing any of these people to do it. And they're going hard. It, there's not like a competitiveness, but you're like, damn, they care, like I should care. There was a certain level of like preserving your passion that kind of got enforced naturally just by being around it. So it was kind of, I, I didn't realize that till later. And I was like, oh, that's why school was pretty cool for me. So were there any projects while you were there that you feel like, solidified that idea there was one element of scad that was like visual effects specifically at the time was very much a very big operation meaning not one person made a movie right i mean you think of matrix there was like hundreds, hundreds of people, of people right so yeah. like they were kind of gearing you up for that environment of this like you're going to be at a studio with a bunch of really talented people and like you're going to be making this stuff as this big team 
It's not that I'm not a team player, but there's something deep in me that's very like lone wolf a little bit. That like kind of made me kind of resist that concept. And so halfway through my visual effects experience at school, I was kind of like, damn, it's almost like building me towards something I don't exactly want. And so it was more that last two years, I remember having this weird up and down with even schooling where I was kind of like hating it because I didn't want to be confined to this like path of like just working at a studio with a bunch of people. And so that last two years was where I started to be like, what do I want to make? Like, that's when I feel like I actually started to tap into like more concept and being like, what do you creatively get inspired by? What's your own style? So you'd been like imitating for so long and then you had like some creative direction with the school and now it's like, okay, what do I actually want? Exactly. For me, the last few, that last year, the projects I did, I remember doing a skateboarding project, of course, that had a lot of visual effects in it that like had more of my personality. I remember also like not going into class near the end and just built my computer at home and just work from home. I was very like a little reclusive from the scene. I think I was honing the craft. I think like I have a personality type that maybe like is a people pleaser or like wants to be like, you know, it's nice to get accepted by your peers. Right. And I recognized it though in myself and realized that like that will just make me kind of make clone cookie cutter shit. If like all my peers are doing this, oh, I want to be accepted by them when I make this. So for me, the reclusion was like more to just be with my own thoughts and like see where that gets developed towards. For the second time in his life, Adam found himself at a crossroads. Should he follow his classmates and pursue work with major studios, or should he take time to develop his own style at the cost of stepping away from the established studio hyper-realistic VFX projects? This was a moment where Adam might have felt trapped. School taught him that successful artists were those drafted to work on the next blockbuster. By accepting this mentality, perhaps Adam's career would have overlapped with Marvel or the latest Matrix reboot. A pretty solid track record, sure, but not the most fulfilling record by his standard. But refusing to compromise the freedom of art with the art of business, Adam was free to make art for the reasons that have always motivated him, creative expression and self-discovery. His conviction teaches us that in order to stand apart from the crowd, we have to be willing to push against it. Now that Adam accepted his identity would be art first and business somewhere down the list of priorities, it was time to sketch his own path. I remember... I had started a skateboarding crew and the skate thing kind of got some attention like Thrasher magazine like featured us and like talked about us and I was like oh damn like me just like doing my own thing kind of like got some excitement that's kind of tight um, and that I think just gave me a little bit more confidence to again not be thinking about looking outward for connections but more just like grinding on your stuff and people recognize it exactly and I think uh, yeah at the end of the 2008 I kind of just was on my own little mission and, and thought that New York might be a good transition. Why? You know, I think it was just like the whole, like there's either New York or LA in the art world, at least at that time, especially like you were saying, there's recession, whatever you kind of gravitated towards the big cities. Cause you're like, okay, if I'm going to get work, it's going to be in one of those cities. And uh, at the time I do remember like they did have like one little career fair before the end of the year. And there was one studio there called Charlex. So I think they're still around. They're based in New York. And the guy there was just like, hey, I really dig your vibe. If you're in New York, you should come hit us up. So I did go to New York. I did go to Charlex. And they were like, wait, you're just a student still? And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, you met me. Like, I, I'm just a student. I just got out. I don't have any commercial work yet. And they're like, oh, we need people with experience. And so that was my <laughs> quick so New York experience. You went, you went out to live in New York with people who said, we're going to give you a job in New York. 
And they, they're like, nah. They're really nice about it, but they're like, oh, we thought you were more experienced. I was like, you met me at a college art fair. <laughs> like, like, obviously, I'm not that experienced. But yeah, I went with my good friend at the time, Matt Duvall, who's also in visual effects. And we found a random place in Queens on Craigslist, and we just split a room that was like 500 bucks. And I remember we just like lived there together. And then um, we didn't even know the other roommates. It was like pretty random. And I remember we were living together in that room. And then one of the roommates came by and they were like, hey, are you guys living in here? And we were kind of kind of playing it off like, oh, yeah, we're just like we're dating, you know, like we're obviously let's get it. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, you guys can't do this whole living together thing. Like you got to pay for your own room. And and I was like, oh, dude, I can only afford like 250 a month. Like New York City, 250 a month does not fly. And he's like, well, we got this bike closet you can rent. And so I ended up renting a bike closet. So like my whole Wait, a literal bike closet, literal bike closet. Like that day, I remember he emptied out the bikes from it. There was like a chalkboard on one wall. And I had, all I had at that time was a computer and my twin air, air mattress. And I remember I blew up my air mattress and it touched all four corners of the bike closet. And I remember I was like, cool. Wait, wait, well, how are you so easily like cool? Well, I just had no other option. I was <laughs> like, I was like, I probably had like two grand to my name. So like, and that's just to last me like forever. So like I would inflate my mattress in, at night. And then during the day I would deflate it, have no furniture and just set up my little desktop tower in the middle and just sit in like boxers Indian style and just like hustle. I know some people actually have plans, but like, what was your plan at that time? Yeah, I don't think I had thought out the plan too well. I think there was a little bit of a deep rooted belief in myself, like you mentioned. I think that just came from like, used to being failing and skating and, not, and always getting through it. So I think that stayed around, but I didn't really have a plan. And then when I got to New York, I just happened to run into someone from high school that was like a girl that I had always like liked. Hanging out with that girl added this like spark to New York. So it was a combination of belief in myself, no plan, and that spark from that girl being like, I can stay here. Like, this is a good sign. There's like, something's going to happen out of this. That was pretty much all that was keeping me going at that point. It was pretty, pretty basic. Adam's life was constrained in every possible way, physically as well as financially. He'd rise every morning in a bike closet that barely fit him, and then hustle for hours to scrape together just enough to pay the bills. And then he'd start all over. Most people might have gotten discouraged after the first few weeks. They would have succumbed to the voice in the back of their head taunting them with, at this rate, you'll never make it. But Adam had the guts and grits of a skater. From cutting up his knees or bruising his shins doing tricks, he knew that failures were the stepping stones to success. Just imagine all the times he'd fallen when learning an ollie or a kickflip. This familiarity with failure kept him humble and level-headed. It taught him that failing isn't the end. Giving up is. Armed with this mentality, Adam could brave anything, even a spontaneous trip to LA that nearly left him homeless. I do remember making this like weird art piece while I was there um, for a friend's art show uh, where I just like hand drew everything. I, I was really into like this hand-drawn aesthetic. I think it was like a resistance to the visual effects vibe. Um, and that doing that, that all hand-drawn thing, I remember making a website that kind of had my like latest demo reel because I was like, I got time. I might as well market myself. And that that one post is what a random studio in LA emailed me. And they're like, hey, we saw your work. We really dig it. We have this hand-drawn project. Are you in LA? Do you want to come out and do an internship? And so that actually unintentionally was like what spawned my move to California. Does it turn out differently than the internship opportunity in New York? Yeah, yeah. So it was a little, I mean, you know, there's a catch me too, because it's like, just because they said the internship, you know, it's like unpaid and it's like, I don't have a place to live, right? So, you know, connect the dots here. There was also that girl that had the spark in New York and she was based in LA. And, um, and I was like, oh, it's perfect. I'll just go see her. 
and like crash at her place. And then, you know, I'll figure out this LA thing. Like I'll make it work. And I remember coming out here, she picked me up from the airport, went back to her place. Everything was okay, chilling. It's like day two, like that first day was fine. Day two, she was like, hey, I don't think this is gonna work out. And when she said that, I was like, oh, a word? Okay, like I had no backup plan. Wait, so when she says this is not gonna work out, is it the living together yeah, part? Yeah, so I remember like uh, my roommate at SCAD and I was like, I know he lives in LA. I haven't talked to him in a minute. Let me like hit him up. I hit him up and I was like, hey man, like told him what happened. And he was like, dude, you can come crash on my couch. And like, he lived in like Palm. So I remember I always skated to Venice to this internship. And so this is what, 2009? Nine, yep. Okay, so what was the, I guess, Venice art scene like? It was so sick. I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know LA. I didn't know about Venice or anything. So like when I got out here, I remember skating to the studio, which was like on Abbott Kinney and Venice Boulevard where Snapchat studio is now. That's where my office was. And like, dude, then I saw like the boardwalk for the first time and everything. And it was like so epic to me as far as like an art scene was concerned. It wasn't so much like the art scene. I was like knew all these artists and I was connected. It was more just like this feeling of like immense freedom and like non-judgment in Venice at that time. And maybe I'm sure everyone talks about the Venice heydays. I'm sure it's all changed, but at least at that time for me, it felt like you couldn't be the weirdest dude in Venice. It was impossible. There was always someone weirder. And so that part of me just like amplified that part of my voice of like, I'm just going to do whatever makes me feel good and just like do me. So being at that studio, it was really cool because like, it exposed me to Venice, that freedom, and also gave me a constructive of business and like actually put me into like a real world scenario of like making art. So I was working as a pretty small studio. It's called Harder Studio. It's like Justin Harder is the, was the director there and they had like a producer and stuff. And so it was pretty small. And like, you know, I was just his right hand man. I was just learning from him. He was very talented. And so I was just like helping wherever I could. And like, you know, it started with like, Hey, I'll work a little late. And they all trusted me, you know, like they would work late with me and then like, all right, we're heading out, Adam, just close up. And I'd like close out 1130. Cause I knew I'm just going home to my friend's family's couch, you know, it's like, I had a lot to do there. So I'm like, man, I'll just crash here. And then like, I would do that a lot. One time I remember them catching me, not in a bad way, but they just like came in a little early and I was still passed out. And they're like, did you sleep here? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. And I was pretty honest. I was like, dude, honestly, I just feel bad. Like when I work late, I like don't want to go home and wake up this dude's family. Like I just kind of crash here. I've been kind of crashing here. And he's like, bro, just live with me. Why do you think he gave you that option? That's a great question. I think I actually know. I think he saw like a lot of himself in me, which is why I think we were boys, but also we kind of had like a little falling out probably because we were so attached. Like we were so like, so similar. Yeah, we were just always grinding. I, I literally became his right-hand man. I went party with him, everything. Like I did everything with him. He showed me LA in a very unique way. Cause like I had nothing. So it was like, I was seeing all this cool shit. I was like with a cool dude, you know, like out of nowhere. So to me it was sick, but it was like, I learned a lot in that very short time. Do you think it's important to have like a protege kind of like relationship or like a mentorship? I think that was very valuable for me. It was a massive confidence booster. Like I think it fast forwards you a lot of like self-work. Like you have this discipline where you're around someone that has to have be disciplined because they're performing at a professional level. You have that. Then you have the confidence of like seeing him execute stuff and then being able to at least like try to get close or him accept your work. You're like, oh damn, I'm like at a level of this professional. And then also just learning, like subconsciously learning from them on both good and bad, you know, like learning good stuff and learning how to party right before delivery too, you know, learning both sides. <laughs> so. 
So you got really close to this guy. 20, this is like 2010, I think. Is that when you left to do like freelance design and animation? Yeah, yeah. We had like a little falling out. I don't want to like talk shit on someone that's probably changed, you know? But at the time, this guy was very revered for his skill and his design. It was really good. Like he had a unique style that was definitively his own. Um, but he was like totally addicted to people. And that was also his reputation. So when people would be like, damn, how is that guy? I heard he's like so gnarly. Does he yell at you? Did he pull out a sword? And I'm like, oh, I was there that day. He did pull out a sword, but not at me. Like he would do some weird shit where he would like just be smoking cigarettes and drinking beers and making designs and then they like come downstairs and either to be kind of tipsy and do some weird shit to people or just be brutally harsh. Like you say weird shit, just like pulling out swords and well, yeah, he, I remember one time he came down, we were like during Christmas doing a job and he came down kind of drunk and everyone's like working. Like it's pretty late jam. Like no one's in party mode. No one's been drinking. Everyone's just working and he comes down kind of drunk with a broadsword and just starts hacking the Christmas tree. And at first it was like funny, but then it was like, Oh, this dude's not sober, you know? So it was like a little concerning, especially for people that didn't know him. Like mind you, I live with the dude. I'm like, ah, it's fine guys. But everyone else is like, Holy shit. You know what's this guy doing? There was that part. But then I think the part that didn't bother me, the part that was bothersome to me was like, he would come up to someone and see what they were working on. He's like, and like before even asking how they got there, or how much time was spent, he's like, this looks like shit. What are you doing? do better. Like he'd be very harsh, but it would always bother me to see it. Cause I like was sitting next to these guys working really hard and then watch them just get cut down. And then like him go right back upstairs, like nothing happened. And then seeing them be like, God damn, like I was just pouring my shit into this. And so that really bothered me. And so our falling out happened when he kind of started doing that to me. And I think that's when I was like, man, that is, I didn't like it when you're doing it to all these people. I've been nothing but good to you. Like I pull all nighters for you and do all this crazy shit. Like don't do this to me. So we did have a falling out. It was super aggressive actually the falling out. Like uh, in the shortest form, he said some stuff that I thought like crossed the line. It was, it wasn't like, Hey Adam, you suck. It was like, fuck you, Adam. Like I'm going to fucking kick your ass when I see you for su like sucking on this thing. It was like, he would just say stuff. I think just in the emotion, he didn't mean it. Like, I don't think he actually meant he wanted to fight me, but mind you, I'm 23 year old kid, 24 year old kid with plenty of angst to myself. If you say you're going to fight me, I like, I snapped. Like, I'm not like, I wasn't like that great at handling it then either. You know, I wasn't perfect. So I remember that day it happened. I remember I was like taking his car back from something. I probably was getting a car wash for him or something, bringing it back. He said that comment. And I remember I just like came in hot. dude. It was like, I like feel bad about this story because like, it's not me now. But I came in super hot. Like, People were working and I was like, fuck you, bro. Like super hurt. Like, I think I was just hurt, you know? And so I came in really aggressive and he came back at me super aggressive. And we we're just like straight up screaming match. Like, fuck you, fuck you. And I left and never saw him again to this day. Like, I still haven't seen him. We, he tried to hire me like two years after and I, I said no. So it's not like we hate each other. But um, yeah, I was aggressive. I just like fully... I had my own shit I was working on. I, you know, I'm telling you all this like good side, but like, you know, everyone's got their own like inner dialogue they're working on. And I think he just caught me and just like it snapped me. But if I'm really analyzing it, I think he did put a lot of pressure on me to like be really good. And I think I did have the imposter syndrome of like not feeling that good. And so I think combining that feeling of insecurity, if, if I'm being honest with myself was like, it was that this insecurity that wasn't as good as him. And then him making me feel bad, just like tipped it where it starts to become real, you know, like him saying you suck felt it myself. And then when they say it, you just like, then your whole inner dialogue is like, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, you know? And then you can't even perform under that ability. It's like, it's paralyzing for me at least. Like I can't get out of it. So I think when he said that, that tipped it off. 
Um, and yeah, I just like, you know, full storm out, dude. And then got a, got my suitcase. I remember it took like, you know, I, I think I went back to Rob's on the couch, then hit up a friend who was like an illustrator at the time that we had worked with. And I was like, you want to get a place? And we got a place in Venice. And so that, that happened there. And in a way it was the best thing ever happened to me. Cause then it was like no game plan still, but I had experience now and I did have, you know, some confidence still left, even though I got a little hurt, but hurt. Uh, and that's when I started freelancing. So what was the first job that made you feel like you were on the right track? I got hit up by a friend and they're like, hey, we got this animation job. It's pretty simple. Can you hop on and help out? You'll be working with a senior animator. And I was like, cool. So they partner us up and I was like, oh man, I want to impress, you know, I want to go hard. Like, I don't know this guy. And I was like, he's like, yeah, you can just take on this one easy shot. There's like four shots total. I'll take on those other three. You just take on this easy shot. You're like a junior animator, like do your thing. And I was like overachiever mode. I was like, I'm doing all the shots. So like, I just like did that shot, did the next shot. And like next day, I think that did the other two shots and like submitted them all to him. I was like, yo, hey, I just like jumped on it. I was just like really excited to do this. And he's like, shit, man, this is, this is usable. This is great. Like, this is perfect. He wasn't like, oh fuck, you got to redo it. He's like, this is great. Damn, you could have done this project yourself. And like that one comment was like super cool to hear from like someone that was way more experienced. And then he's like, man, I need to connect you with this agency. I didn't realize you did this kind of stuff. Like sometimes I'm too busy to take on the work. Like I'll connect you. Maybe they'll give you some work. So that one job, 100% was like a catalyst for me because that agency gave me like big boy work that then allowed me to like fake it till I make it, if you will. Not just like, oh, hey, I'm this guy you hired to like help out a team. It was like, oh, I'm this guy you hire that can do a whole job. Did you ever pose as like more than one person? When I say pose, I mean like make it seem that you were a team. 1000%. To this day, probably heavily even more, but like definitely back then. Like I would always speak in we on the email chain. There's no we. It's just me in my room. I would always do that, dude. I'd be like, oh, let me talk with the team, see what's feasible. <laughs> Exit phone call. I'd be like, hey, Adam, do you think this is, you're, you're willing to do four all-nighters in a row? I'm like, fuck yeah, I am. Let's get it. So I 100% faked that shit, bro. And like, it was just partly because I was just like, I knew I could put in the hours and just go hard. Yeah, it worked out in my favor because then they would just trust me with more and more. I never dropped the ball, thank God. But, uh, you know, I got help occasionally. It's not like I was fully solo on some of the bigger ones, but definitely did a lot of projects. That I was like, oh, I got help. And it was just me, 100%. So you had the agency and the agency allowed you to get like more satellite jobs. So maybe that was like giving you recurring revenue, um, maybe a little bit of stability. And then you were able to take on jobs that were like, like, what were you optimizing for? Like more aligned with your creative interests or more aligned? I think that time it was just getting any scale beyond a day rate. I liked the idea of like, we'll just pay you a lump sum of money and whatever profit you make on, it's up to you. You know, if you want to do the whole job by yourself and not hire anybody and not sleep, cool, you make 100% of the profit. I mean, yeah, it was brutal, but like you got through it. So that incentive to me was what it gave me. One of the projects that I think initially showed me that scale was the Best Buy project. Could you tell me a little bit about how that came about and what was it like working Yeah, on? yeah. That same agency pretty much had asked me to create an animation for this commercial for Best Buy. And I was like, and I had an actual budget that would like be like what would normally be two months of work for me. And they're like, hey, it's due in a month, but it's like two months of work budget. And I was like, shit, I got to go really hard and really push it. And so I did that whole project myself, made this whole like commercial spot for it. And it, you know, it aired or whatever. And that was like the first like validation for me. Cause to your point about imposter syndrome and that inner voice, the inner insecurity, I definitely still had it. So I think there is a, a second layer to not only the incentive of the money, but also the incentive of proving to myself, I was like legit. 
you know? And I think that's like always an uphill battle. So for me, that's what the, these projects also accomplished. So you do the Best Buy stuff that gets you maybe some of that legitimacy that you wanted. How do you start getting into like projection mapping stuff and art show stuff? So at that point, you're right. Like I was so caught up in just taking on jobs, whatever I could, but, but doing so people started, you know, just see me always working in my room. Like I would meet people in Venice and they'd be like, what do you do? I was just like always in my room. And it was kind of created this mystery of like what I'm doing. So a couple of my friends would just always be like, like, oh, you got me, my friend Adam. Like he's always just working in his room doing something. And I remember someone, I guess, introduced me to someone, Mark Rojas was his name. And he was doing this Venice art crawl. And he somehow had heard about me just always working in my room, being on my computer. And he's like, hey man, I heard you're always working on your computer. We're doing this like Venice art crawl. It's like for light show, do whatever. I don't know. I know you make animation, maybe make some animation and do something. And so that was actually really important. There was no money involved or anything. And I was like, oh damn, this guy, the fact that he just reached out to me and like had like a lot of faith in me just to invite me to this art show without knowing really anything about me. was like, I gotta go hard for this dude. that immediately sent me down this path of like, I want to make a cool art installation for this. At the time, I remember this artist, Dev Harlan, I had seen his work and it was like these 3D sculptures made out of what I thought was paper. They were probably like plaster and he would projection map them. And I saw that and I was like, damn, I, sh- I want to do something similar to that for uh, this art show. How did making this work feel different than maybe like on the other side, like the Best Buy project. Oh, dude, adding that legitness bar graph, if you will, like added a lot of legitness points for me. And I didn't even know it would, right? I think I just did it again. It felt like back in the day, just blinded by passion. This guy asked me to do something. I didn't want to let him down. I want to make something cool. I just got into it hardcore, dove in, made it. And then when I did the art show, seeing how people reacted, I was like, whoa, that was no client telling me what to do. No one inspiring me other than just like me come with this concept and then doing something that people were impressed with. It definitely helped a lot, I think, for the self-esteem, the confidence. Okay, so I, I want to talk about the choice to make, you know, Master of Shapes, like why you doubled down on actually creating a brand like that. Yeah, I think I did it because I want people to think I'm a team. I felt like if you just are one person, you're just Adam. And like, it felt like a little constraining, you know? And so I, I, and also I kind of wanted to be anonymous. I liked like the mystery of it. I was never like a dead mouse fan, but in a weird way, I was like, oh, really genius move on his part. Like never has to show his face. He might not even be DJing this show. It might be someone else. So I kind of liked that. But yeah, I think at that point I realized like I could do real stuff. Having a brand made it easier to take on more stuff or at least diversify my abilities or at least fake my abilities enough to get new opportunities. And so, yeah, at that point, that's when Master Shapes, I kind of really leaned in. What happens next? I think I was just grinding excessively hard. So I was still taking on agency work, but I was really trying to push the ambition level of it. Like I'd built their trust um, from previous projects. So now I was like, let's let's get harder with it. Like, and still not having really a team to, at my disposal, I was just getting more and more ambitious with the complexity of the projects to match that level of legitness from these studios I was inspired by. And so while that did like maybe have some impact on my personal life, meaning like didn't really have a lot of time to go out. You know, I had a girlfriend, maybe we didn't spend as much time as we could have because I was so like focused on work. It drastically helped my professional career because I started to get this reputation of like, man, they go really hard. Their work level, these guys at Master Shapes could have just been me, whatever. (laughs) Uh, They go really hard. And so like that kind of became a little bit of an identity thing where it was like, I started to like, you know, just in my small circle, they're like, oh, this guy, these guys work really hard. So I felt like attached to working really hard for every project. 
when you were getting that reputation as like a hard worker and then just killing yourself for these projects, did you feel happy? I don't think I feel happy that much predominantly in general at this time of my life. I had this like weird unknown depression. Like I just didn't know what was the stem of it, but it, it impacted me all the time. And for me, the escape from it was the work. So I wouldn't say it made me happy, but it provided a massive amount of escape, you know, good and bad, right? Like it brought a lot of positive to my life, but when you're escaping anything, it's going to have negatives too. So like, I think the only regrets I have in that are, like I said, like maybe I was in relationships where I didn't give them as much time as I could have. Cause I was so focused on this like escape. I want to take a second and highlight something that's not only important for up and coming entrepreneurs, but for everyone. Grinding towards a dream makes it easy to lose track of our lives outside the work. Sure, hard work is key to success, but success isn't all that's worth living for. When you're willing to sacrifice everything, your relationships, your mental health, even your happiness, just to be able to say, I did it, I hit my goal. It's time to ask yourself, what am I doing this for in the first place? Blindly chasing passion can produce amazing results and win you ego-boosting recognition, but it can also lead you astray from the sense of purpose that maybe initially set you on the path. Adam grinded to build something he'd be proud of, but along the way, work and art turned from an outlet for creativity to a shield against depression and looming self-doubt. Being honest with ourselves when we're struggling is one of the hardest things to admit. At this point, Adam wasn't ready to find a healthy solution for his struggles just yet, but that didn't mean he'd never be. So you're getting like bigger and bigger projects. And uh, I guess, could you lead me up to the Miley Cyrus tour? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm doing a lot of those projects. I've done that projection mapping stuff. Like I mentioned, it, it caused like people just thinking about me and then like introduced me to other people because there's like tiers of projects. There's like, oh, I'm doing these like mom and pop Best Buy commercials, whatever. And then like you, there's another tier where like, because I did all the projection stuff, I got introduced to some really cool creative people in LA that had businesses and they started hiring me for more stage design, concert design, live experience stuff, which I'd never done before. But you know, again, I'm always on the fake it till you make it mode. I'll just go hard on that. So I was doing that. And by doing all that stuff, um, what led to that Miley Cyrus thing was people keeping an eye on me started to see the tier of the projects go up. And then one of my friends who worked at Logan, which is like a visual effects studio in Venice, what had... I guess realized that my tier was on par with like maybe some of the work they were doing. And he was like, Hey, you'd actually be a perfect fit for this Miley Cyrus thing. Would you be interested? And of course I'm super down. I'd love to do that. So that project for Miley Cyrus was a big step for me because I felt like, Oh, I can hang with this real studio, even though I haven't worked in a studio since the, the, the leaving my internship days, but to give context for the highs and the lows, also got broken up with at the same time. So it was a good test of like the highs and the lows. It was like, I got hired got really diehard in it. Like two weeks in the girl at the time was like, Hey, you're not giving me any attention. Like you've been doing this for a while. So that happened at the same time, which I always, I think that stuck with me. And as I get older, I've learned to find balance. But I think a lot of like people chasing their goals, balance is hard to find. And that was a good reminder at the time of like balance would be necessary at some point in my life. At that time, I didn't apply it though. At that time it happened. And I was like, I'm just lean harder into the work because now I'm bummed. So like I went really hard on that project. So how did the Miley Cyrus project turn out? Oh, dude, it was crazy because definitely a lot of sleepless nights for sure. I was really diehard on that one too, but it was cool to finally see my work at scale. Like that was just, again, that legitness bar graph just kept increasing. It was just really rewarding experience, you know, and like made me feel again, that imposter syndrome had lurked with me for a while. And in those moments, I didn't feel like an imposter for those moments. Like it resets very quickly, but in those moments, it definitely validated to myself. That was 
doing something good. How does the bar reset? I don't want to be so de- self-deprecating, but I actually think resetting the bar is beneficial. Like if you get too ca- caught up in your own shit, like you're good. I f- in my opinion, I feel like that humbleness um, is important to keep you progressing. If you just think you're good already, you might not want to progress. Cause like all it takes is like another project to do bad on. And then you reset too. Like I would always be, you know, you come off that my stars thing. Then people are like, Oh, design this new show for us. And then you're like, well, I don't know if I can do as good as that last one. So you can reset pretty easily in my case. So it's like inner dialogue combined with like a challenge of a new project would reset me. But in the long run, I actually like it because I never want to think I've just like conquered the mountain ever. I don't think I ever have. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to have that ideology. The next project, like eight months later, would be something completely different with like the the virtual reality stuff. Can you tell me how you got that job? Honest story? Okay. So yeah. So to tie it all together. So that first studio I interned with, I mentioned there's a producer. And that producer that found me and gave me the internship was this guy, Pierre, who worked at Logan, who brought the Miley Cyrus thing. So there was a connection there. We were mutual friends and he had come over after Miley, my, things had gone well. He had seen I'd been kind of like diving into new tech and he had come over to try it out and we were just talking and I think we were smoking a joint as well. And he was like, hey, we have this like car spot that just came in. I see you messing with all this tech. Is there anything like kind of cool you think? And just in that moment, I was like looking at the VR. I heard car. It wasn't a big jump. I was like, why don't we just drive a car in VR? He's like, he's like, is that possible? And like in my head, classic me was like, I have no idea how to do that. And I was like, yes, very possible. (laughs) And he's like, cool. uh, You cool if we pitch it? And I was like, let's do it. Like full (laughs) confidence, you know? But uh, that project was crazy because I think I got me that high of like the uncertainty that that passion increased like tenfold. Yeah, it's right? like let's let I like, set a challenge for yeah, myself. Yeah, like let's a felt challenge, and then just the trust of a friend being like believing in you. I think is a huge that helps that confidence, man. I think that confidence is crucial. So it's like the confidence in knowing I could do the unknown, but then the confidence in someone believing in me that I could do the unknown was really powerful. That project was crazy because not only did we pull it off, so that trust level was like boosted, but we pulled off something that was innovative that got lots of press and then having like a legit company like Castro and Logan to back us, like, dude, I went on a full press tour. Like it was a whole different exposure for me that I never experienced. That Castro project spawned tons of work in that world. We started marketing ourselves, or at least I did, as more of this like tech house that just specialized in making the impossible was my whole gag. Like, cause like I didn't want to like make the same thing over. I just want to make something that you thought was impossible. I'll just figure it out was my confidence. I was like, we'll just figure it out. So it brought a lot of that work. This F-22 pilot happened to see that Castro commercial, met someone that knew us, that knew about VR. And he's like, I saw these guys doing this with a car. Could they do this in a plane? And then he came and met us and the same thing happened. He's like, hey, Adam, do you think you can fly a plane in VR? I was like, absolutely. Like also had no idea how to do it, but I was like, for sure you can. I'm sure you can, right? You can. And so, yeah, meeting that him specifically was really cool because he was like the business side that I never really considered myself. I was just like an artist that happened to have a business, right? And so he was like a CEO that like wanted to pursue this as like a startup. So you came together on this project of basically doing what you did for the VR car stuff, the drag racing for this guy. For this guy, yeah. And then after that project to this guy that brought you the project is like, let's make a company around like VR, AR experiences. Oh, uh, no, no, they, they just wanted to focus on military red six AR stuff. So in this case, he just thought it was a massive opportunity to make a startup specifically focused on military training. I kind of got presented with an option to stay full time 
like really dive into Red Six or keep Master of Shapes going, which I was, I was still getting work during this all this time. And being exposed to this military startup was very cool in the sense of like, wow, this could scale. This could be worth a lot of money. That's exciting. But it also made me realize kind of my core values. Money isn't everything. This is the stage of my life when I'm realizing that money's not everything. And like happiness, preserving your mental health is actually the best key because that gives you career longevity. So definitely a challenge right there, right? That whole like feeling of like, damn, do I just take this not easy route? Obviously I have to work pretty hard, but like, do I take this route or do I believe in MOS, which I still did? And I think that was a good like test for me. I kind of like did believe in it still. I still believed in me more than even this easy, not easy opportunity, but opportunity that's right there in front of me to like catapult to millions. You said you believed in, in MOS, Master of Shapes. What does that mean? Two parts. I believed in that I could achieve success both monetarily, I guess, in a way that would be on par, at least sufficient to a lifestyle I'd want to live. And then number two, I was confident in the fact that it would keep me happier longer. At this point in my life, I was realizing was way more valuable. Yeah. And so of those two, like number two, the latter one, happiness was what you were really- 100%. I didn't think I'd find mental... I was already feeling weird. So I felt like if I just continued that path, it would be brutal. Post Red Six, where where were you trying to push Master of Shapes towards? And is there a place for mentorship in your vision of, of where it was going? I do find like the logical step that a lot of people jump to is scale. Master of Shapes, it was always kind of just like a baby of mine to do stuff. And scale was always something I struggled with. Like I do work with a lot of people and I love definitely love working with similar energy people. I definitely now work with people and it's awesome. The honest answer for me is that being happy for me has been in this pocket of like not huge scale. And so that's why I'm looking for these other incomes to make sure I can preserve going on. Will that bite me in the ass down the line? Maybe, but I have to kind of be honest to myself what makes me happy. And for me, it's making the stuff and disconnecting from that part is like disconnecting my identity. It's like part of me now. And I don't know if that's also healthy. Like I live this shit for real. And so I think when I, I, there's this fear of scale removing myself, it's like removing a piece of my identity out of it. So I, I'm kind of scared of it and also maybe not inspired to do that. I'm more inspired to like keep creating. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think of something in this project, Finding Founders. Initially I was doing all the editing, all of the research, everything. And now I've made everything so that I'm just doing the interviews. And I, and I like that to a certain extent, but then, you know, some of the, the joy that I got out of editing is, is lost, right? I think finding that balance is, is something that I'm, I'm still trying to, to tool around with. Yeah, it's hard to figure out. And I think right now, only recently, I'm learning that like my new way of dealing with it is other outlets, right? Start a, start a wine business, man. That's what you do. <laughs> start, a, start something else so you have those outlets as you start to feel a little control. Because like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not literally doing every single piece anymore on these projects. Like I'm definitely stepping back. But um, I, I still want to feel like I'm core to the creating of something. At least for me, that's my driving force. Grinding in his early 20s had been rewarding in more ways than one. It allowed Adam to build master shapes from the ground up. It won him a reputation within the VFX world, and it bolstered his self-esteem as an artist and a professional. But no one, not even Adam, can live in the office and pull all-nighters for the rest of his life. Feeling the wariness from years of pushing limits, Adam began to rethink the purpose of his work. People don't chase success simply for the sake of being successful, at least not initially. They chase it because they think it'll give them something that's missing in their lives. I mean, that's why we pursue anything, really. 
In some cases, it's self-actualization. In others, it might be status. But for Adam, it was the need to follow something within his soul, something that he just wanted to show the world. But at the end of the day, self-actualization, status, following a passion, are all just means for obtaining the real goal, which is happiness. It took Adam nearly a decade to realize this. But once he did, his priorities and his perspective shifted 180. No longer did life center on grinding till he drops or sweeping his depression under the carpet of art. Caring for himself led Adam to confront his biggest demons. How do you see your projects unfolding in the next you know, five to 10 years? What do you want to be working on? What do you want your life to look like? Yeah, I, I, I love making experiences. Like there's something about that. I think that was always the driving passion. I just didn't know that was a thing, right? Because I got into it because visual effects, right? And animation. But deep down, I think I just wanted people to experience either this visual art I made or something and get affected by it. I also have this deep down kid mentality that I haven't really shook of like anything's possible. Like that's in me still. And I really want to communicate that back to people. And so to me, making experiences that are even more larger than life, more quote unquote ridiculous is actually really inspiring to people. People will get blown away because it's larger than life, but then take that and put that back into themselves. Like that they can do this or like the, like life isn't just like pre-predicted planned out. There's like magic to it still. Looking back at that kid, who was making the skate videos and taking out the, the, the camera and editing on Premiere 4.0. What advice do you think, like if you were teleported back to that kid, is there any advice that you could give that you think would make the journey a little more efficient, a little easier, maybe with less depression, less heartache, and you know, the, the, more of the good stuff that you've had? Be more proud of yourself, I think is important. Like give yourself a little bit more pat on the back through the process. Cause I, I still think I that wouldn't kill my drive. I, I would still have the drive if I commended myself, but like it would have removed, I think the dip downs after, which actually were non-productive. You know, when you're depressed, it's very hard to create this work. Yeah, I can create all this work in this year, but you don't see the pockets where I'm like paralyzed, not able to do work. Reminding myself that not everything is work. For all the good it brought me, that ideology, I don't. I think it did bring me some bad. I've now balanced it, like I've settled the pendulum, maybe. But it took a while, and uh, but that would be the advice I'd give. And you know, maybe you don't have to party like so intensely. It was pretty gnarly there too. I actually think like, are you proud of what you're doing? Is a really good mantra to live by. That can still maintain the drive, but also steer you towards the things that are going to be best for you. I think checking back with your younger voice, your younger kid in you is good because you'll feel grateful out of it nine times out of 10. Like I, at least I do. Adam lives as if anything is possible. And in a way it is. When you view your life, not in terms of restraints, but in terms of possibilities, you see solutions where others only see problems and fun where others only see work. Even in childhood, Adam was never one to follow a game plan preferring instead to throw caution to the wind and entrust himself to the artistic process. His fearlessness towards the unknown was the result of an intense focus on the present. From hustling in a bike closet to traveling cross country on just 900 bucks to constructing an actual jungle in LA's concrete jungle, Adam dove into each season of life fully aware of the risk of failure, but he did it anyway. For Adam, art isn't just a means for releasing creative energy. It's a means of reawakening people's inner child rekindling their sense of wonder and reviving their imagination. Just as he dared to fly high with virtual art, 
so too does he want to see others soar to their potential. Of course, not all of us are suited for living on the edge, but that doesn't mean we should confine ourselves to our comfort zone. We should push ourselves bit by bit. Growth doesn't have to happen in dramatic steps. It can begin with something as small as summoning the courage to ask yourself, what if? Or simply getting back up the next time you fall off the board. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donna. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, David Saidi, Ashley Jimenez, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan, Harushi Kanauchi, Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, and Valencia Lu. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Aiden Ashworth, Nikki Mukawa, Sylvie Wong, and Eric Menna. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Tiffany Dang, Yao Lil, and Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.